This is Jason M. This is Jason K. And this is Context Free. So today, I think we're going to start out and we're going to talk about Azul. We're going to talk about Azul. We're going to talk about Twilight Imperium 4. Correct. Talk about Rocket League. Correct. And we're going to talk about Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. The book about making... Video games. Video games. I'm really excited about this show. Like I, I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been this excited to record um, in a very long time. Excellent. So um, maybe because we have a plan. I think that's why I'm excited. Yeah. See, having a plan we is get overrated. This, we get this whole black backlog. This plan. <laughs> I feel organized. It's kind of great. Right. So Azul. Azul's a game by Michael Kiesling. It's published by Plan B Games. Uh, we actually just played it. I've uh, you got it for me for a Christmas present. Yeah, I, well, it was on your list of things that you wanted that didn't have, and I got it confirmed that you, in fact, weren't going to get it. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and I have probably played it more. I'm pretty sure I've played it more than anything else in the last uh, two, three weeks, kind of since Christmas time. So, so why? Why have I played Azul? Uh, so the reason we played is because it takes about. Uh, 30 seconds to set up, which mm-hmm. is great. So you mm-hmm. can bring it out anytime. Uh, as we just found out, it takes about four or five minutes to teach. Very simple to teach. And as you said, it's not complicated. So we could play again. And you're, there's no rules to look up or anything. Once you know how to play, right. you know how to play. I mean, it, there's like riding a bike, you know, you just know how to do it. Um, the pieces are fantastic. They're these little, I don't know what they're. They're fun to touch. They're, they're fun to touch. They're, they're tactile. very tactile pieces. Yeah. They look nice, attractive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no narrative. You are. You are, uh, I guess, ostensibly building a mosaic tile wall backsplash. I'm not really <laughs> sure if you're into building a black backsplash, but it's an abstract game at its at its core. Mm. It's, it's really just an abstract game of there's five different colored tiles. There's a black, yellow, light blue, dark blue, and red. And in a two player game, the there's going to be four tiles sitting on these little uh, cardboard pallets. There's five of these pallets, and there's a center area. And on your turn, all you're going to do is take from one of those spots you're going to take all of the same of a particular type of tile so if there's three red and one blue on a thing i can either take the one blue or the three red Mm -hmm. and then the ones that i don't take go into the center and that and that center is a an additional place that you can take tiles from right and so you're you're basically taking these tiles you're putting them on your board and you're trying to build this uh this like checkerboard style Mm -hmm. backsplash and and it's it's very abstract there's there's you know a little bit of um particularly in the two-player game you you know if you're playing cutthroat you're trying to also look at what your opponent's doing and like which tiles can i take we didn't really play that way jason jason was very nice i saw him i saw him checking and then and then he let me he let me lose by a very close margin (laughs) my son is actually quite good at this game he's played it four times and he's won three of them so he loves it because it's something that he feels um like he's um capable like yeah, it, it, it's in tune with the kind of strategy that he 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 can play, and it doesn't have the rules overhead that mm-hmm. lets an adult get way ahead, right? You know what I mean? So it's real straightforward. You just kind of got to see what's in front of you. I, to me, Azul is uh, is a game that I think people will be playing for a long time. So okay. I, I heard someone say that in ten years they'll look back at the game's release in 2017, and this game will be on its eighth printing, and no one else will remember. Other, mm-hmm. like I think. I th- I think that that this game is is only going to gain in popularity in the way that uh, Ticket to Ride and Pan and Pandemic have sort of you know up- started appearing in Target and now they totally are. But I mean, you see them in department stores. I th- I believe that eventually Azul will be in the same place. I do not think that this game is going to stay a niche game. Yeah. Uh, what do well, you think? it's I I guess 
I, I could, I could definitely see that happening. Right. So the, and the reason why, from my perspective is there's not really any kind of cultural or, or other kind of baggage, right. Sure. That, that kind of maybe would make you not want to play the game or, or maybe make you kind of bounce off of it for some reason. Right. So it's not like about the, you know, 18th century capitalist building railroads. Right? It's not about I mean, Star Wars or it's not about, about yeah, it yeah. has no theme to either glom onto or to repel you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like chess or checkers or, or, or a number of other backgammon abstracts really abstract, but understandable sort of games. Right. It also, we just played with two. Um, I can tell you that it plays, uh, slightly differently with three and four, but equally as fun. I don't think I prefer it in any, at any particular number, I would just as soon play it with two, three or four. Um, and I, I, I really think it's like the perfect right after dinner game because it's, you just, you know, you pull out the bag and you just put a few tiles down and, and there you go. I mean, setting up the, the game is the same thing you're doing every round while you're playing the game, right? <laughs> um, you're leaving out that some of us have to lay the tiles down so that their nice, pretty surfaces are all facing up. <laughs> instead of some of them you know standing on end or or other things that make us slightly uncomfortable so what's what's great about that is that i've never told anybody that the tiles need to lay flat and every and, single person and every single person that. makes them flat <laughs> when i because i I usually pull them out of the bag i'm the person put, putting them on the little pallets uh from the bag and then whether it's my wife or my son or now you you don't even have to tell everyone everyone just knows as a human being that those tiles they need to lay flat mm, they just yeah. they're wanting to lay it's flat not, it's not right standing up that's hilarious <laughs> yeah no so so when you say you think it's going to go for a while um you know i i think i agree and I, and i think part of it's the abstractness but it it manages to be abstract and simple at the same time right so some of the other games um that i've played that are mostly abstract there's a lot to remember like a um, patchwork yeah or I, I was i was specifically thinking of the the game where you're and i'm I'm blanking on the name where you're all beetles you have a bunch of hive hive yeah so um you just have to remember it's like chess in that way that you yes. have to remember each piece moves its special way and and you assemble stuff and that and i still we still play that every once in a while but there's a certain amount of ramp up where you're like no wait a minute which this is these are the special pieces that you only play with sometimes and right so and it also there's that extra bit of of sort of the combinations of how to use those pieces mm -hmm. together like you would in chess right of strategy of the strategy of, of combinations and such there's really no combinations in azul i mean you're just trying every turn you're trying to score points and just playing a very tactical game i think you if you play this all the time like say you and i played you know Played, got together twice a week and played three or four games at a time, right? I think what would happen is a meta would probably sprout up where you would start to be like, well, well which tiles have been played and, and what's left? And, and you'd be thinking that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that would only happen after a lot of repeated play. Yeah, and probably mostly, I, I feel like when you play the family version, right, of four people, mm -hmm. I feel like that's probably maybe a little simpler in ways right because i i don't know maybe people are really playing the meta game with four mm -hmm. people and trying to figure out what each person's going for maybe but right. but i feel like two on two that's definitely it's much easier to go i'm gonna block you because you obviously need this row versus all right. oh, this you know this person to my left needs this one but the person right yeah right. so and that's always the case in uh games with more than two people where it's not zero sum if mm -hmm. you're if you're specifically doing something to hurt someone else mm -hmm. you're 
you're probably taking away from your best move, but you're thereby helping those two people who aren't involved. Right, right, right. The other thing is that all the other abstracts you mentioned, chess, checkers, I said backgammon, you said hive, those are all two-player only games. Right. I mean, this is this is a game that that fits in that same, like, easy to get going, you can play it whenever, but like I said, it also works with three and four, and, you know, there's there's not a lot that have that kind of low rules overhead, great, great pieces. Uh, quick to set up, quick to take down, and are just a lot of fun. So I, I really think that, um, I think Azul is, I will be shocked if this does not win Spiel des Jahres next year. Yeah. I will absolutely be shocked because it's, it's like the perfect game for that. And, and it's, and it's, um, it's not quite like anything. I think it's kind of like a, you know, the great new abstract. So I think and so to so to to remind yeah, the the less the less the less uh, alpha board game people what Spiel de, de oh Jars. Spiel de Jars yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm pronouncing it wrong badly yeah, your your German is poor I'm yeah, disappointed Spiel de Jars I don't know Spiel de no um it's the game of the year award right, right. so whoever the German uh, uh cognoscenti of uh <laughs> the of, board, board of, nascenti yeah the cardboard nascenti um of gaming there's a group and then it's and it's basically the big award for in germany for games so they do a kinder spiel which mm-hmm. is kids game they do a the regular spiel and then they also have like a little bit more of a gamer's game gotcha yeah so that's that's what that is and you know like last year it was king domino which i think king domino is a fun game i enjoy king domino but um i feel like azul i would probably play almost all the time over that so. Yeah, I, I, I do have to say the fact that you get little tiles to place versus little pieces of cardboard that look like tiles, it, it feels like it makes a big difference, right? Like right. It, it wouldn't be as fun without that kind of like tactile. And I know they're not ceramic and, and that's You gotta just thing. hear how they sound, ready. Yeah. <laughs> and they just they just sound great. <laughs> oh, it's delightful. Okay, Azul. Boom. Yep. And so you played what is known as TI4 Twilight Imperium Twilight Imperium yes. tell us tell us about this game that you spent how much time playing so we we went wait a minute wait a minute you got you you got to break it down too set like set up and playing and that sort of thing right so <laughs> so uh Sean who runs the gaming group that I'm a part of he uh hosted this at his house um he hosted the game at his house and you know, put out a meetup invite and it's a six player game. So it's a six player grand space opera game. So in this game, there are 17 possible races you can play, right? And you're, you're going to be one of these races and they're all different with their own sort of unique uh, ways to play. I'll talk a little bit about who I, the race that I played and, and kind of how that went. But, um, so we were to arrive at Sean's place at 10 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. on Saturday <laughs> and it was scheduled to go till six. We ended, so <laughs> when we got there, he had it all set up, mm. right? So everything was like basically ready to go, um, which was great. And we, none of this time was for teardown. Like we, he was like, you know, I'll take care of it tomorrow, whatever. So it was all, it was all kind of out. Um, we only, he had played prior versions of the game. Five of us had never played any Twilight Imperium before, but we'd read the how to play and kind of got the basic idea, but there was still some teaching time and review. So I would say we probably didn't get going until 11. And the game ended just after eight. So, and, <laughs> and we kind of played while we ate when we, when we ordered some food, it was kind of about nine hours. Um, and some, I heard a review recently that someone said twilight Imperium, uh, transforms time into stories. And 
And I would agree. I, I, I had about as much fun playing this game as I've, in terms of like a deep game, as I've had playing any game that I can ever think of. Because it's just so, you're just so into it. It's not a war game where it's all, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of pieces and, you know, so this is on the absolute opposite end of gaming from what we just talked about with Azul. Right? <laughs> so if Azul is like the simplest thing that anybody could get into and super approachable and accessible, Twilight Imperium 4 is on the complete opposite well, end just, of that. Just the time commitment, right? The time commitment, the number of pieces, the number of rules, the all of the things that are involved. But what you get for this is you are you are in like an all-day struggle for the galaxy, <laughs> right? Where Where you are just you know, relying on military force, you're relying on the wealth that you have, you're relying on your influence with other players, making all sorts of deals. So in most games, it's like, oh, it's your turn, right? And you wait for someone to go and they do their thing. And that's how it goes. In this game, every time anybody does literally anything in this game, there's some talk about, well, if you would wait a sec to do that until it goes around again, I will offer you this. So there's, that's why it takes so long, right? It takes so long because the game has so much player to player interaction. And no one can just take their turn. Right. Right. There um, has to be negotiation. There's negotiation talking. Yeah, there's talking every round. And then at the end of every round, you have this, this Senate phase, right? So think of like the Star Wars, the, you mm-hmm. know, the Emperor Palpatine, the whole Senate and everyone's voting. You have all the different races in the Senate. So what's going on there is there's going to be two, and everyone has, you know, based on the planets they own, they're going to have a certain amount of influence or votes for these laws. And these laws basically break the rules of the game, right? Mm-hmm. They, they completely change what can happen or they might nominate certain planets to be like galaxy heritage sites. So they can't, you know, have military, like all sorts of things can happen. Right. Mm. And people can propose riders onto these things such that if they predict what the outcome is and they don't vote, they get some goods for predicting it the right way. So there's (laughs) all this voting and politics and, and everything that's going on. And, and it's just so incredibly interesting. Um, the, The thing about the game that was, um, that made it really great besides just sort of telling this narrative story and, and, you know, having some excellent moments out of it is that in a lot of games, you know, you kind of sit there and I'm talking about like, you know, heavier style games, right? You're kind of sit there and part of what you're doing when it's not your turn is you're trying to think about, you know, what am I going to do on my turn and, and trying to put together this plan to win right? Right. It's a big part of what you do. And it's the same way that, 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 that happens in, in twilight Imperium. But in the, in most games, someone else can do something even if they don't know what your plan is they they put their worker on a spot that you really needed for your plan to come together or whatever and and if they do that there's nothing you can do in this there's always negotiation you can be like will you hold off on that because you know it would be better if you did this and you offer them something right so there's all these things where you can give them something they need in exchange for something you need and so the fact that you have that amount of like that your decisions can impact you know what's going on and, and, and you can change what you do. So you might be like, ah, oh, it's no skin off my nose. I'll wait a turn and you get something for it. You can really put the plans together in a very complex way. Cause you say, oh, I have this surplus stuff. I have this much to offer. And so it really feels like how parties negotiate, right. Of this asymmetrical value. So that's, that's what I think is so, so interesting. So how many, how many of you were there? Six. So there's six of you each playing your own race, race faction, whatever. Faction. Right. And this is, this is its own IP or this is Star Wars or this is. It's, it's completely own IP. Um, it is, like I said, it's TI4. So this is the fourth edition. The le- third edition is, is kind of the, 
the one that's probably the most well-known that came out in 2005 mm-hmm. and that's, it got very bloated. It had some expansions. And so with, with TI four fantasy flight tried to really pare down some of the parts of the games that they felt got, I mean, it's funny to talk about paring down a game and it still takes six hours minimum right, to play, but right. such as it, it is, is a fantasy flight game. It is a fantasy flight game. Um, so TI three, uh, and then I don't know when the original came out, but there's 17 different races and they're, they're, you know, based on tropes that you're going to be used to, right? I mean, like, for instance, I was the universities of Jolnar. Uh, so I was like these fish heads in like a... You were, you were the science fish? I was the science fish, exactly. <laughs> so I was the big tech tech race, right? Which kind of plays into how I like to play Civ-style games. Um, you know, just getting a lot of tech and, and going that way. There was um, the Emirates of Hakan, which are the, the space cats. They're basically these lions that are the big traders. So they're, they're the wealthiest race, oh, okay. and they're really good at trading. There, were, there was the Extra Kingdom, which is, uh, they're the, the peace turtles. So they're, they're the ones that, <laughs> they're like these turtle race, and they're, they have the ability to veto the laws and all this stuff. There was the Federation of Soul, which was basically humans. There was the uh, Sardak Nor, which is space bugs. So like uh, space bugs space bugs they're violent violent space bugs. yeah they're combative space bugs yeah, violent space bugs. and then there was the barony of letnev which is kind of they have large armadas and good at having like large fleets so those were the six sort of you know suggested intro hmm. races to play right there's there's other races like there's one race that can just create wormholes and sort of appear you know <laughs> they're like the ghosts of creus you know they can just appear wherever so there's all these races and you really uh it's not just like, oh, I have different colored things or I get a slightly different this or that. I mean, there's so many different things from, you know, race-specific technology, race-specific ships, race-specific abilities. Like, there's so much with them, with the race that you play that, that impacts the game that the replayability of that is kind of endless, right? Because certain, certain uh, groups are going to be hard counters to other races. Right. So... So you're negotiating and building things. Are you fighting each other? Yeah, you, you are. You are fighting each other. Um, but it's not a war game where you're just trying to defeat people for the sake of defeating people. It's not about, it's, it's not a game that's about being king of the mountain so right. much as it is as there's objectives. So there's public objectives that everyone can claim and, and not just one person can claim them. Like mm. they can be claimed, but you can only claim one per round. And then you also have secret objectives that, are just yours. And so everything that you're doing in the game, the winner is whoever gets 10 points. So all objectives are worth one point or two points, right? And everything that you're doing in the game is about objectives. So you might attack a certain planet because you, you have an objective of owning four industrial planets, say, right. right? And so that's why you're doing that. Or, so or you're, you're fighting for resources more than you are trying to defeat each other. Yeah, you're fighting for a specific reason. It's really not a game that's about like, okay, let, like Axis and Allies, where it's like, let's pick sides and I'm on my side and you're on yours and fight to the death. It's not like that. It's very much opportunistic battling to get what you need. So a good example of this is, you know, there was a neutral, the, the person to my right was, we were neutral with each other. We had no real agreement. I surprised attacked him because I needed to for a secret objective that I had. And then I said, but I'm going to leave next round. Like I will vacate the planet that I just conquered. Right. So rather than trying to have this ongoing grudge match back and forth, right. I was like, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll get out of here. I just needed, I just needed, I just need to do this. <laughs> I felt obligated to attack. You. I felt obligated to attack you. Um, but just the, 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 the amount of interaction that you get in, in all the different, you know, uh, 
sort of plans that you can make in your head. And um, so a good, here's another like just fun type of negotiation that happened in our game was uh, one of the other players, the space bugs player, he had, he did something where he was able to see the next two laws that were going to be up to vote ahead of time. Right. And then when we did an exchange, I, I, I said, okay, I will allow you to do X if we go in the other room and you tell me what those two are so that I can prepare for what those proposed laws might be ahead of time. Right. So that wasn't even a, a physical exchange of things right. in the game. It was just a bit of knowledge so that I wouldn't be caught off guard by what that was. So that type of stuff is pretty unique. It was a, it was a lot of fun because we had six people who were just all in playing. This would not be a game that someone was having a bad time. It would, it would totally ruin it. So could, could, could he have, could he have, uh, could he have lied to you in that scenario? Uh, yeah, he could have. So he could have like told you the first one correctly yeah. and the second one just totally off base. Yeah. Yeah. He, he could have lied. I mean, there, you know, different <laughs> people have different opinions of sort of honor and lying in, in games. Right. right. I mean, there's just different philosophies and how people like to play games with their groups, et cetera. One thing about this game, and, and this is something you couldn't have stopped. Yes, he absolutely could have lied right um but one thing that's interesting in this game is that there's this mechanic there's there's promissory notes so you can actually trade these cards that you have yours you know that that you give it to someone else and it's kind of like um it's like a blackmail in a sense like they have this on you and they can even resell that to somebody else if they want to right so you can basically be like i will give this to you in exchange for you doing this for me now it's kind of like this future like i'm holding this over your head type of thing to to make it more binding than it otherwise would be so there's a binding game mechanic for contracts yes so there's the game like explicitly calls out binding deals versus non-binding deals but then there's also these promissory notes which are add to the ability to to have some binding in the future huh right it's kind of like almost a third shade of how you can think about deals someday i will ask you for a favor basically right right (laughs) so so an an instance of one of those is you can give someone the promissory note called political secret and they have that card and what that lets them do is that on any future vote they can play that card and it's you you can't vote oh so you're you're giving them this future ability to stop you from growing your influence yeah on, on something right which if you didn't have that card as a mechanic you'd never be able to enforce that. That'd be very right. difficult to enforce. Right. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, you know, Hey, I want that planet. Um, I'm going to give you a turn to get out of there or else I'm coming. Right. There's a lot of that type of type of stuff. Or I had it with the player on my left. We had a non-aggression pack. So we both got a victory point from not attacking each other. And at the end of the game, I had to come up with a plan that let me find the points I needed without attacking him because that would have lost me that, point that i was looking for right even though he was the easiest pickings to go after <laughs> right but i was like i can't attack him um so so i'm i'm really looking forward to playing again um so it did, was it was a lot of fun did you win i did i did <laughs> and i will not win next time i can tell you that because it was a lot of fun i went from six points to ten on the last round so it was it was kind of cool to kind of assemble that plan in my head of like you know, because this is totally a game where it's a smack the leader right. style of game. If yeah. somebody gets a big early lead, everyone else is just going to totally gun them down and they're going to go <laughs> after them. So you, you've got to play the political game. You know, you've got to kind of just be with the pack and then look for the opportunity 
you know, and, and, and go for it. You've got to have things break your way. You have to have objectives come up that work in your favor, you know, but there's also a certain amount of, if you don't get the cards you need, well, then maybe you need to, you know, like do things to get the cards you need. So you always have options. You just, Hmm. you just, but you know, getting, getting some breaks certainly helps. Um, but I don't think that next time we play, particularly if it's with the same players that I'm going to be able to kind of play it under the radar the way I did. I think they'll be, they'll have an eye out for that. They'll be watching. They'll be watching. Yeah. I have have a feeling, but I I still think it'll be great. So the art, so the art style and everything is kind of fantasy flight esque. Like it's, it's pretty, pretty nice, pretty uh, well-made art and and pieces and that sort of thing. Yeah. The pieces are, you know, kind of your standard, standard fantasy flight stuff. I mean, it's, it's their typical component quality. It's, you know, um, plastic pieces. The sculpts are fine on the minis. I mean, they're, you know, they're not outrageously great, but you know, you're not playing with little cardboard chits all over the place either. <laughs> so they're good. Um, yeah, I thought the pieces were, were, were fine. There's some, you know, as always with a game of this depth, there's lots of player aids that you can get online. So Sean had printed those out and so we had good aids to, to, to play with. Cause there's a lot to remember. Right. I mean, I think I, have it now, but it's definitely, it's a fantasy flight game. So there's going to be a fact, there's going to be a rata, there's going to be <laughs> rules, questions around, well, what happens when this happens, etc. There's just, there's just that type of stuff. But I would say that, um, that we really, I mean, we had no arguments over rules and we just kind of would make a call consensus and be like, this is what we're doing. Got it. Got it. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. Any, uh, what, so what, any downsides to the game? You were like, all the time that you would change. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I wish it could be shorter, but I'm not sure how it could be. Um, it's definitely a game that you have to have the right people. Right. You have to have the right group. They I mean, want to negotiate and all that stuff. Yeah, people that want to negotiate, people that um, understand the spirit of the game. I mean, I think, you know, like we we were having a great back and forth. Me, So me and the player who is the Space Bugs, the Sardak Nor, mm-hmm. um, we play a lot of games together and we we tend to have a lot of just back and forth, just kind of giving each other a hard time. You know, that's just sort of our, our, our interactions. Mm-hmm. And, and it was especially funny that he was like the no tech space bugs <laughs> and I'm the like weak, all tech, you know, mm-hmm. fish or, or whatever. Um, and so we had just a lot of, you know, kind of not in character. It wasn't like we were like role playing in the middle of the game, but a lot of like me playing these, you know, like smug, smart fish and him playing, like talking in clicks and stuff as the space <laughs> bugs. We just had a lot of fun with that. And, I think those things really add to um they they really add to the fun of the game when when people get into the race they're playing and um you know so for instance if someone wanted to play the Emirates of Hakan and you know be all magnanimous about their their wealth and how they're <laughs> doling it out here and there I mean that would probably be pretty funny um in a, in a pretty good time so I think I think having the right group is is essential you know you don't want someone there who's going to be like is this over yet that would be <laughs> That, brutal that, well because you're investing so much time in right. being there so someone else is having a crappy time and yeah so you want so you want a committed interested group of adults <laughs> probably uh, not kids well i mean the, the 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 one guy brought his son who was like 16 he's yeah. a great player oh, he's right. a great kid i mean uh-huh. he's and he's i mean he's a really good player yeah so you know um probably not young kids no, yeah, no. I mean, this is not. They're not going to wrap their brains. This is not a game for ten-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. And it's also not a game for. Um, it's not a game for people that want to, just kind of build their own thing and not interact with other people. Right. It. It's just not for you. Right. 
I mean, you this is this game is like you know American style plastic you know uh skirmishy you know but with a lot of negotiation like at i mean is the ultimate like a marathrash style game, i would i would say not for someone who's just like you know let me ship my little wooden cubes from here to there and, right. and, and come up with my own plan because to win in this game you've got to interact with other people so got it yeah negotiation ti4 ti4 Nice. Yeah, if you get the opportunity and you're interested, you know, go for it. If uh, if you're local to Denver and you're interested in the game, get in touch with me and uh, would love to have you join us. So what's Rocket League? So what is Rocket League? Rocket League is a game that I heard about and I said, I will never play this game. Um, when you originally heard about it? I originally heard Same here. <laughs> I saw it on Twitch. T- I saw it on Twitch. Oh, yeah? And I saw, you know, I saw people watching someone play. And I was like, I will never play that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's uh, hitting. I guess there's a soccer mode. There's a there's a hockey mode, kind of a basketball mode too. I think it's all about the soccer. Um, I think it's mostly all about the soccer. Um, but your little cars with kind of rockets and jumpiness, and and you're you're driving around trying to kick the soccer ball into other people's it's, goals. It's soccer with rocket cars. Yeah. In an enclosed arena. Yeah. Just all the things that sounds and and. For me, it's two-dimensional soccer, but I, I think the real fun is when it's three-dimensional soccer. Yes. There's a lot of jumping in the air and flipping and bouncing off of things. So and, when I play, there's a lot of jumping in the air. There's just not a lot of contact with the ball. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah to be clear, <laughs> the productive gameplay when I play this game is, is two-dimensional. Correct. There's a lot of three-dimensional things going on, but they're usually some sort of horrible accident that's embarrassing in some way, <laughs> whiffing the ball completely. <laughs> I have scored a few goals. While jumping in air, yeah, I've saved those replays. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely. You put those put those in your Twitch account and <laughs> hey guys, look at what I did. Yeah. Mostly, I just show my son. I say, look what I did. Is he impressed? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he started off liking it, but I don't. I think he's. I think he's not into it. Um, I think he's primarily not into it because of the uh, emotion that it draws out in me to watch me play. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're just yelling at your screen the Pretty entire much. time. Well, dad's, uh, dad's yelling at the, the computer again. So how, so how have you, so I just started playing a few weeks ago. I'm, yeah. I'm bad. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure we can compete for worst. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm basically playing like the, the bots on pro level and I'm like 50, 50. Oh no. Pro what level. What is this? That's the second level. level. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, the rookie is like, you can just score off of the, the draw. It's I mean, true. It's, it's true. not. I haven't moved up yet because it's so satisfying to win. Ah, but no, I actually I, I so we were we were trying to play it like one uh, against each other one on one. You and your wife? Yeah, and and uh, I think I'm gonna try to play two on two against the computer next with you guys on the same team. Yeah. Okay. So that that I think is something you, I'm you actually try might out. have more acrimony being on the yeah? same team. <laughs> what are you doing? No, stop it! No, hit the ball! No, yeah, no, it's um. I don't know. I, I like co-op. Um, I haven't even explored that feature yet. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so, all right. Back to the main... Yeah, back to the main thing. The, the main thing. It is soccer and or other But other why is it appealing games. to you? Um, because it's simple. Right. So it's, uh, it's super simple. You know, you, you get the ball in the net. Um, and then everything else is, is uh, kind of built on that right. kind of simple concept. There's no power-ups. There's no leveling up. It's just... There's kind of there's almost power ups, right? Like you can lose you can lose your boost and you have to go kind of pick oh, it up but, a I little mean, bit. But it, it's not just think of that as having like just 
Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't get lasers. You to don't shoot get each guns, and, and you don't yeah. get yeah. I mean, all of the po- all of the things that you get for winning are all cosmetic. Yeah, and so you can pay to bling your car. You can, <laughs> you can. So uh, Rebecca has a fez, and I'm super envious of her fez uh, on her car. I, it's the one thing. I have I a tri corner hat. Do you? Yes. Uh, I have a bunch of lame things. I have like a little. I have a bunch of lame. My car looks lame, but okay. I, I want a fez really, okay. really badly. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's simple. It's easy to play. It's easy to kind of explain. Well, it's easy to start. It's easy to begin. Right. Right. Yes. And, and, and as we said, <laughs> I was talking to my friend Sean at work the other day. I was like, so uh, I only play in two dimensions because I'm bad. He's like, oh no, anyone that's good, it's all up, it's in, all the up air, in the air. Jumping around and yeah. flipping and backflip and hit the ball. And, right. Right, because what you can do, right? I mean, sort of the basic way to mm-hmm. get up in the air is you, you, you jump, you tilt your car, and then you you boost, yeah, so that you effectively fly and kind of guide where you are until your boost runs out, and you kind of feather the boost, and that's kind of how you <laughs> go up in the air and, and do things. And then once you're up in the air, then you can jump again to kind of do the quote unquote kick move, right, right. To, to propel the ball, right? You know, with with some type of uh, speed rather than just sort of nudging it. Um. And I've, have you watched any YouTube videos of people playing? I don't want to, no, because I'll cry about how terrible I am the well, entire there's, time. Well, there's some for people that are just like, you know, how to like... There's beginner. beginner. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> things. Have you done any of the training stuff on there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I made, I made uh, Rebecca and I both did the training. Okay. I figured that's... Right, the basics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So we understand that at least the basic mechanics of how not to jump through the air and right. how to drive around. And, and then beyond the vertical game, right, there's that game beyond that where you, I watch a video of an advanced guy and both players are perfectly capable of doing all the flying and going where they want. But he's talking strategically like, oh, that guy shouldn't have taken off because the other guy was already, you know, this far off the ground and there was no way he was going to get there. So instead he should have went over here to block it because he wasn't going to, you know, it's, it's like that <laughs> next level of, Everybody can do the awesome things, but it's about using your brain to know when to do the awesome thing, right? Whereas if you and I played and I could play vertical and you couldn't, right. it wouldn't matter if I made, did poor decision-making just simply because I'm playing in a part of the arena that you don't know how to get to. Right. Um, so that's kind of where it, it seems to go. I don't think I'll ever get to that point because the game <laughs> makes me crazy. I mean, I just get <laughs> so angry playing that game. But, Mainly at yourself for missing the ball or... Yeah, yeah, mainly myself for, although I've found that I've gotten a lot better, but mostly I've just like, because I play a lot of one-on-one mostly, right? so I don't even have to worry about it, I just try to work on my <laughs> own skill and like it's all my fault if something goes wrong. <laughs> and that's what I like about it, right? I mean, just like Azul, it's like, it's like very simple to explain, it's very simple to like get going, um, and it's just kind of that essence of like what makes games great. Right. I mean, Rocket League is a great game. Like it, it really is yeah. a great game. Um, it, it, it doesn't require like extensive knowledge of maps, you know, like people would have in, in a lot of first person shooters of like mm-hmm. knowing, you know, where the knowing sp- spawn points, knowing spawn and points and knowing, you know, the timers on, on when the, the guns and certain things are going to respawn and, and right. knowing all the different like best spots to be. I mean, it doesn't have that type of knowledge the, really the, the jackassery that, that yeah. comes with those sort of games <laughs> right. isn't there exactly i mean i mean the, i'm sure the arenas like have some slightly different angles and yeah. whatever I, I, there's probably a little bit of that but nothing like you'd have in learning halo maps or call of duty maps or counter-strike maps right. or, or anything like that um and it's just you can just get up and playing like i had uh, a couple guys over mm-hmm. and uh, my son played so the four of us played 
right? So we played two on two, just kind of alternating who's on each other's teams. And that really is the best way. Oh yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was just a blast (laughs) of, I mean, it, it really goes back to that, you know, sort of fun that you, you might've had that I might've had way back, you know, playing, you know, the EA NHL games back in the early nineties or whatever, Mm -hmm. you just have like two on two and, and you're just, you're not like trash talking, but you're just like really <laughs> celebrating with your partner high fives when you get a goal or, or whatever. So and is it's it kind of kind of like playing Mario Kart a little bit? Yeah, it's a lot like, like team team Mario Kart sort of kind of. It's it not is. the same game, obviously. No, obviously but... it's it is a lot like kind of playing uh, team Mario Kart. I think that maybe it's just because I'm relatively speaking much better at Mario Kart than I am at Rocket League. Like the the, the moments of hilarity, I think are are a lot more frequent in rocket league of somebody doing something dumb or amazing. <laughs> right. Whereas Mario Kart's a little bit more like, Oh, uh, you shot me. Yeah. You shot me. Or, I mean, if somebody is significantly better they're, I mean, they're yeah, they're going to win in both games, mm-hmm. but it still might be hilarious in rocket league. Whereas like, there's not that much interaction in Mario Kart. Cause they're just, you know, half a lap ahead of you. Right. So it's just, you're not even playing the same. You, game. Yeah. You're not even playing the same you're game. You're not going after the same ball. Yeah. So it's, it's, it kind of ends up not, not being as, as fun right. in a way. Um, but it, it's a little bit more like, um, super smash brothers Yeah, is yeah, more yeah. what it's like, I would say, because even with that, if someone's better, some really funny things can, can happen in, right. in someone like me, who's just a smash brothers button masher <laughs> might get a lucky win, you know, or something like that. So it's a little bit more like, like that, I would say. Yeah. It's nintendo Yeah, it is. And the fact, I mean, they made it cross platform. So it's like, yeah. you know, it works across switch, Xbox. P, uh, Xbox One, PS4, Whoa. PC. Can you play other players yeah. across platform? You can. You can play Switch people from your PS4? Yeah, because really? they just they do game sharing via username password. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I can't speak to how well it works, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you, you, you can. You're not doing it via friend finding, obviously, but right. I could just be like, oh, our game is called Context Free and the password is whatever. And Got it. We could, you know, we could play Rocket League. So oh, that's pretty sweet. You should give that a try. All right. Then you can destroy me after I practice. I don't think we'll be more. able to talk, though, obviously, because there's no. I'll yell at you anyway. I mean, if you're not in the room, <laughs> I'll send you an email of all my ranting. I'm sure I'm sure you I'm, You should record yours, too. I'm sure it'll be make a good show on its own. Yeah. Um, so who, who, who do you think who do you think would like Rocket League? Competitive people? I, I don't know. So people that like simple games, right, that don't want to have a lot of rote memorization. Um, that aren't the obviously the the people that like the the bloodborns and and that sort right. of thing right? Like, right right um that that do have a little bit of that sports um desire right because it is it is kind of a sports game in that way it's not a sports game in the sense that you know NFL players or yeah like like, like, like oh I, this this guy played at this college and they're no, learning yeah. these skills right like right. you 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 don't have that uh that kind of engagement with it's it. not a simulation yeah right? it, it's not even trying at to all. be at all right. it's yeah. the opposite of simulation but there's little pieces of that like you know the us playing soccer against each other which is very which feels kind of different than <laughs> the first person shooter sort of vibe mm-hmm. you know what i mean right so i think it's fun in the same way that playing like ping pong with somebody is fun yeah it, it's it's, the, it's that same type of fun of just like Hey, let's go play some ping pong, either one on one or two on two, and just playing back and forth. It's 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 that style of fun to me. So, <laughs> and even if you're bad, you can you can dial back your ping pong aggressiveness, right? Yeah. 
So, and, yeah. and kind of just hit the ball back and forth and, and have a good time. Exactly. So yeah, rocket league's, uh, rocket league's good. Um, I'm not responsible if your blood pressure shoots through the roof yeah, though, yeah. because it probably don't, will. Don't, uh, don't make yourself sick with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we had homework, homework. Yeah. Nothing like homework. That's what you want. That's what, that's what I look for in podcasts. Yeah. Homework. That's what, yeah. Res- yeah. Things that you have to do that you feel obligated to do just like, <laughs> Back in the day when Netflix would send you DVDs that you thought you were going to watch someday. <laughs> oh, that's not just me? No, no. That's, I think everyone... That's the business had, model, right? That's, yeah. Well, so you would, you would have these aspirational things that you put... Now I just put them on my Netflix list and I never look at it again. So, <laughs> so these like high culture yeah, or, high culture or enriching things. No, no, enriching things. Exploding heads and that sort of thing is what you want. <laughs> um, but it's, so, like, <laughs> it's like the books that you, you go get. But at least with books, they're not clogging the next book. Whereas with the Netflix DVDs, you couldn't get... Yeah, it's true. You couldn't go get um, you know, uh, Avengers if you have some documentaries still sitting so there. So I, I have a book problem. And, and so I do buy lots of books you know, that I keep on my shelf. Um, and so there is a sense in which they are kind of blocking the next book. And then I, mm. I, I, I buy them and then I don't know where to put them. You the didn't next buy this obligation. book, though. So I what did. book are we going to talk I about? I did buy this book. I just bought it on Kindle. Um, so we're going to talk about Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier. Schreier? Yep, from Kotaku. From Co- Co- is it? Is it? I, I always thought it was Kotaku. Is that how you Kota- say it? I'm pretty Co- sure it's Kotaku. Kotaku. I have no idea. Yeah. I listened um, to a little bit of their uh, split screen podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, what's the other guy's name? Kirk? Uh, blanking. <laughs> it's two of them. Got it. Uh, Jason Schreier and the other editor guy at Kotaku. Got it. Um, yeah. And so this is his book. I believe it has 10 games. Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, the triumphant, turbulent stories behind how video games are made. And now Jason's going to read the tiny, tiny, tiny text that lists the video games. I'm going to rip through these real quick. <laughs> the, the structure of this book is 10 chapters that are all about 30 pages each. I'm pretty sure they were all about the same size. Um, there's really no linkage between them. And it just covers, and not in this order, covers Diablo 3, Destiny, The Witcher 3, Halo Wars, Uncharted 4, Shovel Knight, Star Wars 1313, Pillars of Eternity, Dragon Age Inquisition, and Stardew Valley. So I think you pretty much have two indie games on there. You have nine games that were actually created. Um, you have Pillars of Eternity, which is a Kickstarter game by a, by a designer group, design group that was a big group, but they did that via Kickstarter, so I'm not really going to call that an indie. And then you have... Uncharted 4, Halo Wars, Destiny, Diablo 3, Dragon Age Inquisition, which are all by large uh, design and development and publishing groups. Triple A. Triple A. All Triple A. You know, um, EA, Bungie, etc. Um, and then you have Star Wars 13, which I said is not created. Oh, and then The Witcher 3, which is now a Triple A company, but certainly was not a triple a company before <laughs> uh, cd project red yeah or as yeah. you like to say project 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 yeah no who, who did i realized when i read this i did not know this i had told you a few months ago they're actually behind gog good old games oh really it's mentioned in the book huh they that's their because remember we talked about it and you were like is that like a steam competitor right 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 and i said yeah it, it, it is with no drm Etc. But that is CD Projekt Red's. I need to buy more stuff from them. Then uh, that's that's their um, site. I did not know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, the, their history I thought was was one of my favorite parts. Um, just hearing how they started as a you know CD 
kind of copying yeah thing back right. in the the as the transition um making from, games available in a country in poland where the games were not readily available in retail yeah well the kind of the post-communist transition right for poland um and and that explains the name which i i had never dived into so right yeah and that and so now with you playing that i had another friend tell me just like set aside you know three months out of your life to play this reading this it, i've I need to play The Witcher. 3. There's a lot of game there. I've realized I have to play it. Just, just... Like I, I kind of want to just let other people's experience be the substitute for my experience with the game. Because <laughs> like, should I play this or should I play Breath of the Wild? I need to play one of these mega games. Oh yeah, would you have to buy a Nintendo if you want? I have a Wii U, so I can play it on that. Oh okay, not on a Switch. I don't have a Switch. Isn't it better on a Switch? Yeah, but don't say that. <laughs> yeah of course it is all right so what you learned what you learned from this book is that you want to play witcher 3 and you probably should given the amount of effort and awesomeness that went into that game so what did this game make me want to do let's well rather talking about we'll talk about what we liked and we didn't like but in terms of what it made me want to do is i would say it made me want to play witcher 3 Mm -hmm. a lot um it made me want to play the uncharted games which you also made me want to play the entire game. Right. So that reinforced that as well. It, I had started Shovel Knight, but didn't get that far. I am now determined to go back and play Shovel Knight, <laughs> like for sure. And I am frightened to play Stardew Valley because oh, no. I've played those style of games before. I'm a little scared about, <laughs> about like dipping my toe into that type of a game. So probably won't play Stardew Valley, um, <laughs> but it certainly had me interested. And then... I now I feel especially bad for not finishing Pillars of Eternity because I. So what happened? Pillars of Eternity is one of those like vacation hiatus games where I'm all into it, playing it all the time, right. and then we go on vacation for a week, and it's so deep and so rich that I can't ever quite get myself back into playing. Uh, uh, you ever happen with you? Yeah, a little bit. And so that's what happened with Pillars of Eternity a couple of years ago. I mean, I was having a blast with it because I love that style of Baldur's Gate style of game. I mean, I played all those. I didn't play Baldur's Gate 2, but I played Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, I and mean, I played a lot of those games. And uh, um, Pillars of Eternity just fits right in that pocket and is, is so good. And I really feel like I should finish it. But I, it's one of those where you have to go and like get your brain all in that mode <laughs> again. Yeah, I, I don't ever anticipate playing Stardew Valley, but now I kind of want to play it just because one of my, one of my favorite podcasts, um, Top 4, has a... Uh, an episode where they they all get together and they talk about their favorite single characters from Stardew Valley. <laughs> you sent that to me. I was like, that is pretty niche. Wow. Um, yeah. So the, the their podcast isn't usually about Stardew Valley. It's just top four, and they choose that a topic. was Marco Armand's podcast. Yeah, that's right? Marco Armand's podcast. Right. Um, or called, one of what's it called? Top four. Top four. Right? Top four. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I may have to someday play this game is it a dating sim is that what would you no no it's like it's like animal crossing oh that's right it's 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 like a life it's a farming life sim pick up your roots and stuff yeah it's a farming life sim where you go around you have people in the village you make relationships i used to play animal crossing on the ds (laughs) you know probably like 10 years ago and you know uh, my wife and i we both had a ds and you can like trade across you can trade little goods and stuff you just get all you get so into that you're like Maybe instead I should decorate my house instead of my house on my DS. That might be better use of my time. Maybe I should learn a new skill that's transferable to reality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wait, you mean I can't become a farmer because I I know how to click A over and over? Yeah, no. I mean, maybe. I don't think they're 
mutually exclusive, but I don't think they help you. Um, I, I, I definitely am glad that I'm not a game developer. After oh reading my this God. Book. I so say that. I, have you ever read Gama Sutra? No. It's a, it's a game site about kind of industry stuff, right? Mm. So they'll talk about, uh, you know, everything from hiring practices to shaders to, you know, whatever. Um, and so I used to read, read it off and on. And, and then I decided I, I never want to work in that industry unless I'm just working for myself or something, just because of the, the, the amount of crunch time mm-hmm. and unhealthiness, right. That, that sounds like goes into working in that industry. It seems, seems crazy. Right. And there's different kinds. So I think I've asked you before, but you've not seen indie game, the movie, correct? I have not. It is on my Netflix list of obligation. Okay. Well, I'm not going to bump it up or down or anything like that. <laughs> but so I'm going to just take a second and compare this book to Indie Game the movie and and what I think, you know, cuz they both they both cover the process of making video games, right? right? Indie Game the movie covers three specific uh games and it kind of goes back and forth. It's like weaving the narratives of the three. It covers Super Meat Boy, Braid, uh I can't remember the Super Meat Boy guys, but Braid is by Jonathan Blow. And then Fez by Phil Fish. Got it. And there was actually an indie game, the movie, the sequel, which I really couldn't get through. Probably because. Oh, really? I mean, you've, by the end of this movie, you've had enough of these people that like you really <laughs> don't need anymore. They're <laughs> they're they are um, extremely opinionated, opinionated, and just strong personality sorts. I mean, they're just they're they're a lot to take, right? right. But it's really interesting, and, and the story of those of those. Um, of those games is is great, you know, and, and all three of those games are fantastic games, and they're in their own right um, that are really do some some amazing mechanics and, and art and, and, and etc. And they're all uh, it's Super Meat Boy is two guys, and the mm-hmm. other two are just one person, and they're just these like artistic visions of like I am going to create, yeah. you know, this thing and, and, and behold what I have created, you know, style of of uh, you know it's like some sort of like fountainhead style yeah. of, of, of mentality right they're idealist creators with strong personalities exactly exactly and so what indie game the movie i think did much much better than this book mm. was it made you care about people right so it weaves these stories and like the fact that i remember jonathan blow and phil fish i remember their names i remember what the super meat boy guys look like like i i mean granted it was a movie and it's not a book but the focus on the on the the human being Right. And you got very little of this except in Stardew Valley, um, a little bit in Shovel Knight. Um, and then I would say The Witcher 3. I mean, outside of those three chapters, the people were just kind of like, you know, I don't I don't remember who they are. I don't you know, I don't really get a good crystal clear picture of, of who these people were, which it's more about the game. And, and I, I feel as though it would have made for a more compelling book to care more about the, the people. And so I feel as though the book feels like more like just journalism of investigative journalism than right. it does about real storytelling. Yeah. I, I think if they had done the same thing though, structurally and chosen three games and woven them together, you, you would have had a lot more meat on the people. Right? And focused and, on the personalities. And, right. So each, each, each game essentially has a chapter and I, I don't know the page or word count, right? But you know, about 30 a piece, 30 pages a piece or something. Um, and so there's so much of that is the kind of the corporate narrative, right? Right. Which <laughs> I felt there was too much corporate narrative in the book. 
Yeah, I mean, it's something that people are interested in. It's too much for us, probably. Maybe, I don't know. Because <laughs> we're not part of that industry when we're more I, I guess by the time I got to Star Wars 1313, I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot handle another another corporate overlords suck (laughs) chapter because that's what they felt like right of like the publisher gives us you know like especially after the bungee one with destiny i mean that was yeah that was hard yeah i yeah yeah i I didn't enjoy that destiny oh that's a whole nother conversation um so so you learn that you don't want to be a game dev i learned that Everyone hates EA and that I now have more reasons why I should not like them. You and, didn't know that people hated EA? No, I knew that people hated EA. I knew that everyone's mad about Battlefront right now. There are politicians in the Senate trying to make laws because of Battlefront, which <laughs> is so offensive to me. It's pretty silly. It seems like really low on the list of priorities. I got overpaying for the first Star Wars Battlefront pretty quickly and I was mad about it but i didn't buy the second that my solution was i wasn't buying the second one mm-hmm. and that's worked out for me so far i know you guys kind of like it though um, uh, i haven't really played it oh okay yeah um but after hearing that ea kind of contributed to the death of 1313 mm-hmm. i was i was i was unhappy after hearing that they helped kill off uh an amy and i'm gonna get her name wrong amy hennig game um in the in the uncharted vein of of uh kind of uh linear narrative uh film meets game in the star wars universe i now they're dead to me they're just i'm like everyone says mean things about ea and now i feel the good news is is that there are so many great games that you don't really need to buy triple a titles anymore if you don't want to oh yeah 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 i mean i barely touch triple a titles anymore right and so um i mean that was part of my skepticism around the witcher 3 even though that's from a a dev and publishing group that is not you know that style of thing but that's why i've stayed away from the destinies and and to be clear i will buy everything that naughty dog ever makes until until i'm more emotionally scarred by them (laughs) but uh but yeah i tried destiny and i the I don't know if it's satisfying or not, but the thing that I learned from the book about destiny is that I was totally right about the horrible narrative nonsense that mm-hmm. made me kind of bounce off that game. Mm-hmm. So I think the other thing that, so it was certainly fun to read about the, 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 the story of, you know, creating some of these games and it was, there were little interesting tidbits here and there. Mm. What, what fell apart for me though, was that I did not even get from a holistic standpoint, like, like, uh, kind of a reflection across the games or, or you know, more of, of Shryer's a just holistic opinion of from this entire investigative, you know, journalism process of all these people I talked to, this is what I, these are my takeaways. You wanted some editorial. Yeah. I wanted some editorial. I, I wanted, I wanted a, some, some additional thoughts, you know, um, from him. That's just what I was, I was looking for because I felt like, each chapter, you know, the, the writing style was fine. I mean, I could kind of tell when each chapter was sort of winding down and, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it was serviceable. Um, but for me, a lot of the problems was just, you know, you keep switching between these games and all these groups of people. And I could never remember like, who's this guy? Who's this person? Who's this? Like, <laughs> yeah, I would never know who these people were. And it just felt like a big gumbo of names. Right. Right. Of course, all dude names for almost, I think there's like two women in the entire book. Amy Hennig. And, and then the woman on the Shovel Knight team mm-hmm. that was, um, which I can't, I can't remember anybody's name hardly, but <laughs> I can't remember her name either. 
um, that she left at some point. I mean, the, the most dramatic parts, right, were, were with the, I think it was with Destiny, where, like, someone just, like, leaves. Like, you know, everyone stays, and, like, but the one guy leaves. You know, like, I love right. when you, like, call out, like, this one person leaving these, like, dramatic moments of, you know, <laughs> I will all... stand against the nonsense. Yeah, and they go get a job somewhere else or, <laughs> or something like that. I also would have liked to have seen a Valve game, just because no one knows anything about Valve. And maybe they can't. Maybe. Maybe they can't. Yeah. They're so, so secret. Then they're, uh, What's the word? They're they're anarcho. I don't know, but an, I would have anarcho anarcho syndicalist. That's the word I was looking for. I, I would have liked to seen something from them. And then you know, Blizzard was kind of interesting, but I did not really think the Diablo three one was was that compelling. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 is what it is, right? It's it's a uh, kind of a investigative journalism focused on the kind of the story of the game. And not the story of the people. Right. And the, right. except for the strongest one I thought was Stardew Valley because it was about a guy. Yeah. It was one guy. And it was like this guy who's, you know, living in his parents' basement and his girlfriend's, you know, working and making the money. And then he just keeps just obsessively working on this game. And then he gets it out there. He meets his hero, who the guy who created right. Animal Crossing. And now he's made $30 million. Yeah. That was like, no, it was, that was great. It was, it, it felt like a movie. That, that, that one, kind of piece of narrative felt like yeah. uh that one could have been an indie game the movie because it totally fit in that in that in that style <laughs> so it was uh it was, it was uh entertaining i i also i feel like i learned a lot i'd played a bunch of dragon age inquisition and i felt like i learned a lot that i didn't um i didn't realize so that one was interesting because that was the game where they took the engine from a shooter i forgot what what they took it from, right? That was ice, ice something it was ice was, but they basically, you know, it's all they're, they're talking a yeah. lot about how, how productive a team can be really comes down to their tools, right? right. Cause there's in many of the chapters for the AAA stuff, they talked about, are we going to use a, a new tool set or switching? This is a big deal. And constantly like chapter after chapter, all oh, the story changed. Now we had to go back and redo the mechanics and, <laughs> and all these things like that. Um, you know, like they were talking about in Star Wars 1313 with, with the, if it was going to be a Boba Fett character, then that would mean you had to have a, a jump pack. And how would that work? And how would you do right. level design for that? Which was, which was interesting. But it was interesting, particularly in Dragon Age Inquisition, talking about the, that they used a, a first-person shooter engine, right? which they had to adapt to what they were trying to do and, and, and what effect that had. And those are the sorts of things that even being developer sorts, even though we're not game developers that I think are, are just kind of interesting from a technical. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I, I, that made me kind of step back in the book. Now that you kind of mentioned some of the developer things, like there, there were some things and I won't, I won't note them now because I don't remember them in detail that made me go, Hmm, this, this, this person doesn't understand development very well. Hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a fun read. Um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't emotionally grabbing. No. Yeah. No, but it was, you know, if you, if you're interested in, in any of these games, certainly, and we, we've each played a handful of them. Um, if you're interested just about the industry in general and how this sausage gets made, I mean, I'm not aware of another book that, that is going to probably teach you as much and, and, and open the doors on that as much as this anyway. Yeah. So, so, so now we're going to need to find a new piece of homework sometime. We'll have to think about that. Yeah, not this, not next week. We don't, right. have, we don't have new homework, but the next piece of homework. Right. 
going to be good. Right. We're going to be more emotionally, emotionally charged. <laughs> it's not going to be about sitting. Well, in I bet the next piece, no, the next piece of homework needs to, needs to be, um, uh, some, some game or something like one of the more kind of narrative style ones. Maybe we'll do that. Hmm. Eventually probably end up being my homework since you've played more. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. We don't, we don't know what the homework is, but, uh, we're going to come up with new homework for next time. I have a lot of books on game design that I haven't read that we probably don't want to do. Um, <laughs> like second person game design. Okay. <laughs> You are in a forest. Um, All right. So, so till next time. Till next time. Jason K. Jason M. It's context free. Context free is a contrarian content production. Find out more information at contextfree.fm along with our show notes. Our theme music is Chocolate and Cocaine by Lorenzo's Music. Find out more about Lorenzo's Music at lorenzosmusic.com.